Hello, everyone, and welcome to our episode on The Clue of the Leaning Chimney. Number 26 of the Nancy Drew Mystery Stories. Let's get started. Well, aren't you a regular Nancy Drew? We sure hope so, and we hope you are too. Join us as we talk Nancy Drew cover to cover and click to click. Welcome to Regular Nancy Drew. Okay, so Clue in the Leaning Chimney was originally published in 1949 and was revised in 1967. I happened to read both versions because Corey, because I had the 1940s version and Corey had an extra newer version that she mailed to me very helpfully. (laughs) So I have read both. I've been very curious to know if these are similar or if they're very different. Mm -hmm. I mean, I might as well just tell you they're pretty much exactly the same. Okay. Legitimately, they're exactly the same. And I'll talk a little bit about some of the like really minor differences that I picked up on once we get into stuff. But mostly they just smushed chapters together. Okay. And like, so they're really essentially the same length. Okay. It's just that the newer version has smaller print and longer chapters. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But essentially the exact same story. Although I do have to say that the covers are, you know, while similar, Mm -hmm. uh, again, there's something about the 1940s cover that is just so much better to me than the 1960 one, which is so bizarre because, you know, I love a mod, you know, a mod flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love the 60s and 70s style. But in the 1940s version, you get Nancy and Bess and George all on it. They're wearing like primary colors. Mm-hmm. There's They're in red, blue, and yellow. And it's just so much, it's just such a more dynamic thing. They're like in action scenes. So like Bess and George are like mid-moving. They're like crouching. Nancy's in the tree and she looks like she's leaning down forward much less so than the Nancy on the cover of the 1960s version, which just seems, I mean, she's leaning forward, but she, I don't, I don't know. When you look at the difference between the two of them, you should Google image search them. You should see the difference that I'm talking about because one Nancy seems much more engaged and the other one seems kind of frightened. She does. Yeah. So also, I don't know. It just seems like Nancy blends in, in the 1960s cover version and she stands out in the 1940s version. And I, I, you know, I like a Nancy that stands out. Yeah. What can I say? You know? Sets herself apart. Yeah. Yeah, the shirt she's wearing here is almost the exact same leaf pattern as the leaves in this tree. So it's like Nancy camouflage almost. Yeah. Except in and just something, yeah, it's just something about like the blue and the green together as opposed to like, you know, the red in front of the green. It's just much more striking, you know? Mm-hmm. But... Anyway. Which is kind of funny because I noticed we didn't get as much description of their outfits in this one as we might have mm. done. Like in Chatter, we got a lot of description of the outfits. So, tis true. Although I will say that I noticed that she's actually supposed to be wearing jeans, according to the 1940s version at least. She is supposed to be wearing jeans in this scene where she's climbing the tree because they had changed into jeans. They had noted that. But she's wearing a skirt. So, um, person illustrator. <laughs> Get your facts straight. Russell. Is it Russell? I have no idea. I didn't actually look at the illustrator for this one. 
Do we want to talk about the authors? Yes. So the reason why we chose 26 was because we had previously covered kind of across the board. You know, we had covered original kind of Mildred versions that had been edited by Harriet. We had covered, you know, a book that was all Harriet written among other ones. And so we kind of wanted to cover one that was a little bit different. And so this one had a little bit of a different author, but was also, which was uh, George Waller Jr. Or that was the 49 version, right? Right, Mm -hmm. right. Um, But was co-authored by Harriet. So um, there was a little bit of a different influence in this, in the writing of this book. So maybe, maybe that affected some of it. I found one source that said that Harriet did the revision in 67 and another source that said that Priscilla Baker Carr was the person who revised it. Mm. That's actually, I believe, the same person who revised Shadow Ranch. So, Oh, interesting. I don't know who it actually was, but. I will say, I think that the revision was mostly well done. I, I you know, obviously they didn't change a, a whole super lot, mm. but there are some small changes and I'll talk about them. But I think, okay. I think overall they were, they were smart changes. So, okay. Cool. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully less racist. <laughs> Unfortunately, <But>. not. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll get into it. <laughs> yeah. Do we want to do our three words? Yes. Oh, gosh. Pottery. Hiking. Hiking. That's a good one. <laughs> Plot twisty. Is that- yeah. I guess that- there was like a, like a reveal at the end, yeah. you know? Which I, I don't know if we've seen something that dramatic before. So yeah, I I picked it up pretty pretty immediately. Did you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as he started acting suspicious, I was like, mm, yeah, something here. But okay, but let's yeah, let's get into it. So this book starts off, and Nancy almost hits a man in the road who is or has a package that contains a vase, part of which Nancy sees. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Nancy discovers from Bess, who is with her, that it is a vase that is from, or looks like it could be from, her cousin Dick Milton's pottery store. (laughs) (laughs) Which I know, I know we're not going to break it down (laughs) yet. Uh, Listeners, we're trying to be a little bit more brief because we can't have another hour and a half long podcast. We but I just lengthy, but <laughs> I just have to say, how many cousins does Bess have? Quite a few. She has so many relatives. Really? In all the books, Bess always has a cousin. Anyway, so Besides cousin Dick George. Milton. Right. She must have a large family. So she has a cousin named Dick Milton who has a pottery shop, and she thinks this vase is from his pottery shop. Mm-hmm. Right. So she and Bess go over to the pottery shop to to see if it's, you know, if it's still sitting in the display window. They see that it's not. So they call him, call the cousin to, to come out. And I believe they mm-hmm. call the police as well. Yeah. They discover that his shop had been burgled and that two things had been stolen. So that vase and then another item that actually belonged to a Mr. Son. I hope I'm saying that right because I looked up how to say it. I heard Son. I'm not sure. Yeah, son or son, okay, something like that. Um, and so, and then Dick enlists Nancy's help in, you know, finding those items and returning the last item that he has from Mr. Son back to him. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I'll note that, that that second item besides the vase was a jade elephant because that's going right. to be relevant later on. Right. Dick tells Nancy that he is, you know, of course going to owe a lot of money to Mr. Sung for 
this missing property if he's not able to recover it. And he tells her about this deposit of China clay somewhere, somewhere that's nearby. And he has this idea that if he can, or if, he, if Nancy can find this deposit of clay for him, then he'll be able to use that clay in his pottery shop to, you know, make pottery and, and make money to repay Mr. Sung. Um, yeah. He says that that, uh, that deposit of clay is somewhere near a leaning chimney. And that's all that he knows. And Masonville. Oh, it's near Masonville, which is near Masonville. Where, where Nancy and Bess were on their way back from when they almost hit the guy at the very beginning. So um, after visiting with Mr. Stone initially to return that one item, we get kind of an introduction to him, but we don't learn a super, super much of that meeting. And so Nancy just starts to investigate the China clay, the leading chimney, and so takes a trip to Masonville. And, you know, just very luckily on her first trip into Masonville, she finds a leaning chimney. <laughs> yeah, on a boarding house. And then through which she finds, she goes up to a room in the boarding house and finds a man escaping through a secret panel in the back of the room. Um, we find out that that man is uh, John Manning. And um, Nancy discovers behind that secret panel after the man escapes, she discovers other vases wrapped up in a newspaper. Yeah. yeah, in an attic room, wrapped up in newspaper with Chinese print on it. She finds things hidden in the window shade, which are Chinese symbols, and then also a list of like other wealthy or other locations of vases in like museums and wealthy people's homes and stuff. So where they're located. So pretty much proof that someone is looking to steal those vases, mm -hmm. right? Or that some something nefarious is going on involved with that. And these vases are supposed to be really valuable. Did we say that? Right. Like they're supposed to be like 200 years old from the Ming dynasty or something. So right. See how they all ended up in the U.S. in white people's homes, but that's not <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, on the way back from Masonville, Nancy and George um, are investigating the woods where um, Nancy almost hit that man in the road the other day. Mm -hmm. um, and they come across a group of men who they startle and they cause to drop a vase. Um, they run off, run off, and in Nancy and George's pursuit of them, Nancy is knocked unconscious, and George is bound and blindfolded. Mm -hmm. um, but luckily, that's it. Nancy regains consciousness and is able to rescue George, and they drive off, basically fine. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, is this where they learn, or when Carson tells Nancy about Mr. Song's friends? Um, yes, yes, very close. So yeah, so yeah, they well, Nancy first speaks with Mr. Son coming out of Carson's office, who explains that the Chinese writing on the porcelains are from the Ming Dynasty. And to like denote origin, that's the, the symbols that she found in uh, John Manning's room in Masonville. But yes, Nancy also learns that Mr. Sohn wants uh, Nancy and Carson's help locating his missing friends, Ung Moy and Ung Lei. Mm -hmm. I did look those up, <laughs> how to say that, uh, who had come into the country four or five years ago on like a vacation trip. And they haven't been heard from since, basically. Right. And they were the the dad. He makes ceramics as well. So right, just kind of mysterious that his friends came over here, said they were coming to visit, and then just disappeared. And were never heard of arriving back in China at any point. So he's asked Carson to help him look into it. Nancy locates a geologist. I guess is is the next 
<laughs> oh, oh, the birthday party. I think is that first. Oh, maybe I might have left that out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, they go to uh, a birthday party. <laughs> Nancy, Beth, and George go to the birthday party of their friend Helen Townsend, who I don't think that we've met before, in at least in the stories that we've covered. Uh, but they go to this girl's birthday party and notices that this family has a vase that looks very similar to the other ones that have been stolen. And at the end of the party, that vase is stolen. So mm -hmm. we've got another lead. Yeah, Nancy helps assist the police in their investigation of that house. And she finds footprints that she determines have been covered up, like their, their feet had been covered up with burlap sacks to disguise their <laughs> footprints outdoors. And I just <laughs> very elaborate. The police were like, "What a great insight, Miss Drew!" It was just such a funny moment. It was. Anyway. I have a lot more to say about this birthday party later on, but we'll. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, we'll go on to the ge geology professor. Yeah. So Nancy eventually locates a geologist who tells her a little bit more about China clay and that there is an abandoned Civil War iron mine nearby in between River Heights and Masonville that might have a leaning chimney. That's really all he knows about it. Mm -hmm. And he thinks it might have a deposit of this clay as well. He's heard that, right. that it might. So he says, go check it out. Right. Eventually, Nancy, Bess, and George go to search for this mine and find a massive wooden fence in the middle of the woods yeah. with barbed wire along the top. And no apparent entrance either. They can't really right. see, figure out how to get in or out. It's very mysterious. They walk around the whole thing. Um, they do find a knot hole and look through. And what do they see <laughs> but a leaning chimney? <laughs> Another one. Mm -hmm. um, and they also see a symbol on that chimney um, that the girls are kind of unable to identify. And then Bess sees a bony hand reach out of the chimney and then freaks out um, and insists they leave, which they do. Way to go, Bess. Oh, they go home and Nancy starts talking to Carson and they learn that there have been another robbery similar in New York City. And Carson says, why don't you go to New York tomorrow? To visit your Aunt Eloise! Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we also meet Togo in this chapter, which we is really do. exciting. First time we've seen Togo, at least in the books we've covered. So, And we learned he's a, a fox terrier, right? A yeah. Little, little cutie. But so Nancy goes to New York. She meets up with her aunt. And upon visiting the shop where the robbery occurred, Nancy finds what looks like Mr. Son's vase and learns that it was sold to the shop by a man named David Carr, who as told by Carson, had vanished alongside the Angs four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. But we learn from the owner also that upon investigation of that vase, that vase proves to be a fake, a fake vase, an imitation vase, and that David Carr actually bears a striking resemblance to John Manning mm -hmm. from the boarding house. So we conclude that he was also responsible for the uh, robbery of that gift shop and also just happens to be still in town. <laughs> so um, Nancy, kind of after a thrilling chase, almost catches up to him, but he ultimately does get away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they chase him onto a train. Yeah. I think we see the Townsend vase as well, from the vase that was stolen mm -hmm. from the birthday party, or we see one that's similar to it, and Nancy gets a little suspicious about this. So she's talking it over with Aunt Eloise, and she's like, well, Ned has a wedding to be in tomorrow, so mm -hmm. I'm going to go back to River Heights. So she goes back to River Heights, and we meet up with Ned. She learns that the Civil War iron mine is owned by someone with the exact same name as the geology professor. So she's like, 
hey, what the heck, geology professor? Why didn't you tell us that you own this land that you sent me to? Uh, so he goes to him and he's like, oh, no, that's not me. I don't own anything. Like, that's not my land. So either he's lying or someone is is using his name. Yep. So they, Nancy and Ned, return to the woods to investigate some more. So another hiking trip. And they hear a cry of distress from, or like two cries of distress from behind this wooden fence. Yeah, they end up way back, back at the same place where she was at with Bess and George the previous day. So kind of strange that... All of the leads end up back to the same location. They go back there like five times. They go so many times. It's kind of, it's my biggest critique of the book. It's just Nancy is just going hiking, essentially. It's just, this this book really should be called Nancy Drew in the series of, of long hikes. <laughs> but I digress. So they go back and they hear um, someone calling for help, but um, they don't discover anything. They can't get over the fence. The branch that they use to kind of like see over it breaks and they they go home. (laughs) Right. They do notice, though, that that symbol on the chimney is now gone. Right. Mr. Sohn. So Nancy goes back, goes home and finds out that Mr. Sohn has been arrested for apparently selling a fake vase to a woman through the mail. And then Nancy, of course, very helpfully resolves this for Mr. Sohn. (laughs) Uh, that basically, you know, she reveals that this was a setup. Um, someone has been trying, someone was trying to frame him. Um, we don't know who, though. Someone was impersonating him, and he is released. The next day at the wedding, Nancy and Mr. Son are looking at the wedding gifts when uh, he sees a porcelain jewel case that bears a cleverly concealed maker's mark of Ungmoy. And it's weird, though, because there are other marks on the vase that that makes Mr. Son believe that the vase is an authentic Ming dynasty vase. So he doesn't understand why his friend's uh, mark would be on this, or sorry, this jewel case, jewel case, not a vase. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't understand why his friend's uh, mark would be on this because it seems to be authentic. Mm -hmm. Nancy is able to track down the store that sold it to the guest who gave it to the (laughs) uh, couple and uh, discovers that it was sold to the shop by none other than David Carr. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, uh, Carson also tells Nancy that Carr has a brother that might also be in the area. And so that she should be more careful mm-hmm. um, because there's, you know, more than one baddie who is trying to get Nancy out of the picture. Right. Basically. <laughs> then they're, they're leaving the wedding. Ned and Nancy driving home from this wedding and they stop actually at that same area where they'd been hiking previously near the bridge where they were at the very beginning. Um, And Nancy's like, stop. I see someone like over down under the bridge using a flashlight, stop, pull the car over. So they get out, they investigate. Nancy actually finds the Jade elephant that had been dropped by whoever was using this flashlight under the bridge. And is this where her car gets stolen? Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> so she's picking up the, the jade elephant from under the bridge and hears somebody get in her car and drive it away and her car gets stolen. So Ned and Nancy have to walk like two miles to a gas station <laughs> so that they can call someone to come get them. Oh, man. Honestly, I thought that that was the funniest. One of the funniest. Yeah. Of the book. Uh, Nancy gets her car stolen. 
but they make it back okay. And then uh, Ned goes back to Emerson, goes back to school. And the next day, Nancy goes back to the woods with Bess and George. Mm -hmm. They find a new symbol on the leaning chimney by looking over the fence with a ladder. And they see um, where there is like a cleverly concealed gate in the fence. Mm -hmm. Well, as soon as they see that, a lady in a lavender robe walks out of the gate because she sees Nancy on the ladder looking over the fence and basically tells them that they have to leave because this area is a sacred garden for the Lavender Sisters, which is this religious order apparently that she is a part of. Nancy obviously doesn't believe this mess, which she shouldn't because one, it's obviously a lie and two, because it is, you know, pretty ridiculous and decides to, instead of leaving, to hop the fence um, (laughs) after the woman leaves. Well, they do. They start to leave. Right. Oh, right. And they find Nancy's car just like on a dirt road near abandoned. this, near this, whatever. I don't even know what to call it. A compound or yeah. this fenced in area. It's just enclosure ended there near this enclosure. And so Nancy's like, uh, hold on. We're going back. I'm going in now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Nancy, yeah. Nancy gets mad at the sight of her abandoned car and is like, these motherfuckers. Yeah, she finds somebody's shoes as well. Like the they match the shoe prints from from outside the party in the car, just left in the car. Like someone just took off their shoes, (laughs) left them in the woods, and then walked to this this enclosure with the fence. So Nancy hops the fence, and then she gets trapped inside by a mastiff, (laughs) another (laughs) another angry dog reader, another angry dog. Mm. She, you know, she tries to call for help for Bess and George, but they don't respond and she's worried that something happened to them. Mm -hmm. So she realizes that, you know, she's got to figure out a way to get out. And so eventually she, um, she kind of waits and she thinks and she ends up throwing a rock like into some bushes on like kind of far away to distract the dog. And she runs past the dog out of the gate and makes it back into the woods. But I do think that the the lavender ladies or whoever, what are they called? Lavender sister. One of them sees her um, and is like, oh, you know, let's go after her. Try to. Oh, I think her. they, yeah, they hear the dog, the dog go like run after her. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah, they think that the dog must have just gotten the gate open or something. And so they, they get the dog. The dog opened the gate himself again. It's fine. Well, apparently, they, they say that he had done that before. So apparently. If I say so. <laughs> um, so then upon getting into the woods, Nancy is rescued, quote unquote, rescued. She is met by Best George, Dick, and, um, and Hannah. Hannah and Togo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they all come to her rescue. Which it ends up being a good thing that Togo comes with her, but um, mm-hmm. Hannah brings the spare car key, so Bess and George and Dick get into their car and they drive home. And then Nancy and Hannah steal Nancy's car back, basically, and then they right. go home. Which again, it's good that Togo is with them because they find out that there was an intruder in the house. So I'm glad he mm-hmm. wasn't left home alone during the break-in. But this intruder does come in and steal the jade elephant back from Nancy, who she'd hidden it. She concealed it in a drawer in her room. And this intruder breaks in and steals it back and is just getting out when they when they come home. So they're not able right. to catch him, unfortunately. Yeah. So the stolen jade elephant is stolen back. <laughs> stolen, then recovered, and stolen again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next day, uh, Nancy goes to speak with Mr. Son to tell him about this. Um, and also tell him that she thinks that Ung Moy, um, his daughter, is trapped inside the... Uh, fenced in area in the woods mm-hmm. and that oh oh I'm, i skipped the babysitting part 
She babysits. <laughs> oh, wait, what about the pottery paints? Did we do that already, or is that later? I didn't even make a note. Um, I think that's later. I must have skipped it. No, I think I, think I skipped it. She. Oh, I, no, 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 no. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. She gets a call from the from the geology professor, and he's like, "You better come over here right away and see this." She goes over, and he shows her that he's received a package full of like pottery paints that, that someone would use to make vases. Um, and it's got his name on it. So he's like, oh, it must be for the other Miles Monroe, whoever um, owns that tract of land where the iron mine is. Yeah. Yeah. Nancy says she's going to go to the post office to kind of intercept this mysterious uh, mystery person. Mm -hmm. uh, but then she ends up not going because she has to babysit for Connie Milton, Dick's wife. Um, yep. <laughs> and their baby. And so she goes to babysit and calls, ends up calling Mr. Son to tell him all this information. He comes over and then she explains to him that, um, you know, what happened with the Jade Elephant, about the, you know, the pottery and everything, and that she thinks that Ung Moy and his daughter, Ung Lei, are trapped inside the enclosure in the woods. And Mr. Son actually begs her to not call the police, tell the police about this, and kind of asks her to give them a chance to clear their name of any, like, association with, you know, illegal activities. Right. Um, before calling the authorities and she agrees and they end up going to the enclosure to kind of rescue them basically right. and then when they get there they actually see people digging up some clay confirming that this is actually the site where where this special clay is supposed to be mm -hmm. um, and then they do find they do find Ingmoy and his daughter so yes kind of a dark really dark scene. it is really dark mm -hmm. because we find out that Basically, they were enslaved. Yeah, they were kidnapped on this vacation by car. And then right. because he's such a, an incredible pottery maker, he's able to make reproductions of these stolen vases or whatever it is. So, right. Yeah, really sad scene. And the daughter is really despondent over this horrible life that she's been forced into. Yeah, yeah. We see the daughter get slapped by one of the, I guess, I mean, I'm legitimately going to call them slave drivers because that's kind of what they, <laughs> that are. Is what they are. Yeah. And she's so upset, obviously, and she, you know, expresses to her father that she doesn't want to live anymore and that they should just kill themselves because there's no way out of this horrible life that they're living. Mm -hmm. And then, um, Mr. Son kind of, you know, interjects and says, no, 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 don't do that. We're here to rescue you. Um, and so they try to escape, but they kind of get trapped by David Carr. Um, and so they have to hide. They end up hiding in this old kiln, which when I was reading this, I just, I was like, oh, oh, this is, sorry. I know I'm, tr I'm trying not to do commentary. But when I was <laughs> reading this, I was like, you mean to tell me that the hiding place that you choose is a kiln? You're like, this is this is the best idea. Mm -hmm. Let's hide in this old kiln. And I was like, they're going to fire this thing up. Yeah. They're going to burn you alive. Luckily, that is not what happens. Right. <laughs> but I legitimately, I was like, this is the, the stupidest decision. <laughs> yeah. Because they're immediately caught as well. Right. Like immediately caught. Um, and they take Ung Moy and Ung Lei out and... Nancy is kind of trapped in there with Mr. Son, and she ends up climbing out of the chimney to escape and to go get help. Yeah, the leaning chimney is, is over this kiln that they're, right. they're hiding in, and um, the bad guys are like, oh, we're going to take these two, put them back to work, and we'll be back to kill you in a minute, basically. 
they do find out that all the other workers besides like the lavender sisters and everyone, mm -hmm. they are also enslaved being forced mm -hmm. to, to dig up this clay. So they've got a pretty big, really, really awful operation going on here. Yeah, legit human trafficking situation. They were taking them from other countries and bringing them over here and forcing them to work. Mm -hmm. So a real awful subject matter in this book. Mm -hmm. Really, really dark. But luckily, Nancy does escape. She contacts the authorities and kind of, you know, brings them in um, to save the day. And they're all like they locked themselves in the vault because they were in the process of escaping when Nancy shows up with the police. Mm -hmm. And they eventually convince them to come out. And everybody is is now safe and happy and hopefully free. But we yeah. don't really get we don't really get a whole lot of resolution. Uh, I was I was at least disappointed because we didn't I didn't they didn't really explain what happened to anybody else except right. for the the Ungs. So I I was like, well, what about all the other people working there? But we do, you know, they have like this <laughs> this dinner at the end where Ung Moy presents Nancy with a vase and is like, I made this vase for you for rescuing us. And she's on the vase. It's really cute. Right. And we find out that they're actually going to stay in the country and work with Dick Milton with the China Clay to continue making pottery, um, but being funded by Mr. Song. And then, yeah, then that's the end. <laughs> yeah, we do find out that Carr and Manning are the same man. Oh, right. So all those crimes. And then Carr's brother was actually working as like a butler for Mr. Sung. So yeah. kind of had this plot twist at the end there where he's like, oh, you came to rescue us. Ha ha, you fool. I was in on it legitimately, the whole time. <laughs> yeah, legitimately, it's like a moment of like, ha, it is I, <laughs> your servant. I was the brother the whole time. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And then the wife makes a comment, the woman who's the, the lavender sister, it turns oh, out yeah. she's the wife of Baker's. She's like, oh, it would have been only another year of having to do this and we would have been rich. What? Mm -hmm. you? Okay. I know. I know. It was like, you're just going to abandon your operation after a year? Yeah. Seems unlikely. But it was, you know, the classic, like, I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for mm -hmm. you meddling kids situation. She was, you know chastising nancy for ruining her her life basically which you know maybe maybe don't get involved in slavery to begin with but for like dozens and dozens of people working in this compound and stealing antique or not even antique like ancient faces <laughs> from china to then reproduce and sell in like gift shops in yeah Chinatown in new york yeah so anyway, Corey, what do you think was your biggest takeaway from this book? Well, do you want to talk about the, the original first? Oh, right. Yeah. Do you want to give a, yeah. I don't know if you said the plot's pretty much the same, but if yeah, no, it's legitimately exactly the same. The plot's exactly the same. There are some, you know, obviously minor things that happen that they end up taking out. None of them are uh, super important to the story, but so what I did notice is that they tended to, they changed a lot of the instances of where Nancy would be called Miss Drew mm. to Nancy. And they changed a lot of instances of Mrs. Gruen to Hannah to kind of make it a little bit more familiar, which I thought that was interesting, mm. an interesting choice. Um, it did kind of seem like Hannah was more, kind of more nagging in the older version she seemed to be more overly concerned with nancy's well-being you know she had moments throughout this where she 
you know, it's like, Nancy, I'm worried about you or whatever. She seemed to be more, so, more worried about her in the original version, it seemed like to me. It was unsurprisingly just as racist <laughs> as the newer version. You know, they still go around, um, they call Mr. Song the Chinese mm -hmm. a lot. Just the Chinese. A or a Chinese. Not, yeah, not the Chinese man, the, the Chinese. They never changed that. That was exactly the same. So there are a couple of, yeah, a, a couple of things that they change. They take out the part where Car they say Carson was a widower when Nancy was 10. They mentioned that in the older version. And I think that's because eventually they changed that to Nancy being three years old instead of 10 years old. I was wondering about that. I always assumed it was three years old. In the Silent Spy, the Herner Active game, it's 10, though. So I... Hmm. Where did that change come from? I guess it was originally she was 10 years old. Yeah, originally, yeah. The original version talks about Carson being a widower when Nancy was 10. They take out reference to the Aang's um, sailing from China to California. Okay. <laughs> and so, you know, we're supposed to, you know, obviously for the updated 1960s version, think that they flew to the plane. Yeah. They, the geologist says some... Um, Make some interesting comments to Nancy when she goes to meet him for the first time. Uh, he says to her, you're much too pretty for such heavy thoughts. You ought to be home planning for the time when you'll get married. <gasps> they took that part out. I'm glad they did. Ugh. They, they still said too pretty for such heavy thoughts, but they took out the comment on, you know, you, you should be planning for your, your wedding. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They also had, uh, in the original version, the, their description of Eloise was a little bit different. Oh my gosh, there's actually quite a bit of description about Eloise in here. In the old version, they say uh, she's a, a tall, attractive woman of middle age. She was smartly dressed in one of the season's newest styled suits. Um, she strikingly resembled Nancy. She possessed a charming grace, which marked her as a woman of unusual intelligence. Hmm. And they don't say, I don't think they say unusual intelligence in the new version. And I was just like, what does that mean? What is that supposed to mean? A woman of unusual intelligence that is marked by charming grace? That's very strange. And she was, I just thought it was a really weird description. It is. So Eloise is supposed to be, I guess, a weird lady, but, you know, an impressive one, but a strange one. Maybe eccentric or something. Spencer living in New York. <laughs> Right, right, because she's this unmarried woman of middle age living mm -hmm. alone in New York. And they talk, you know, they talk about this in the new version too, but she, you know, she, oh, they, they, they do say, so she, in the old version, they just say um, that her girl's school needed her, but in the newer version, they explain that she actually teaches at this girl's school and that she has, quote unquote, a financial interest in this girl's mm -hmm. school. Um, so, you know, I guess we're supposed to understand that she's of some kind of, you know, wealth, mm -hmm. but that's not explicitly stated. Oh, but during this, so when she's in New York, during the chase scene where she is chasing David Carr slash John Manning through the subway, she lands, she, the, the subway lurches and she falls into a man's lap. <gasps> they took that part out of oh. the old book. I wonder why. Just because it's too scandalous for Nancy to be sitting in a man's lap. I mean, presumably it was like N Nancy's butt can't touch another man's junk. 
Even accidentally. Any man's junk, even it was an accident, but it was a funny, I thought it was hilarious. And I was like, oh my gosh, when it happened. Halfway through the car, Nancy was caught by a sudden swaying of the train. Thrown off balance, she careened against the seats and landed directly in the lap of a young man. Oh, cried Nancy, blushing as she struggled up. I'm so sorry. It's all right, the man smiled and helped Nancy to her feet. I guess you don't live around here. We New Yorkers are used to this. So he wasn't creepy or anything. Mm -hmm. But, but Nancy Nancy blushes. Nancy blushes. <laughs> yeah. Nancy's embarrassed. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess, you know, Nancy's not allowed to have, you know, accidental moments. Or we just can't even insinuate the fact that Nancy might be, like, a sexual person. <laughs> mm -hmm. And might have feelings about accidentally... Bumping up against a man's nether regions. <laughs> Too scandalous. But 1940s Nancy does. So that was, you know, that was mostly it. Um, in the older version, uh, Nancy's ankle is actually injured by the tree limb that she and Ned, that Ned, that break when they're standing mm -hmm. on it to look over it. And that's why they go home. But they took that part out. And so I don't know if that's, instead, it's just Ned saying, okay, that's enough. Let's go home. But in the older version, Nancy actually gets hurt and Ned takes her home. I thought that was weird how Nancy's like, oh, this branch is about to break. Okay, better step off of it before it breaks. Okay, it didn't break. Let's go home. <laughs> yeah, in the older version, the branch breaks, and Nancy hurts her ankle, and they have to go home. Yeah. I wonder why they took that part out, just for I, space, maybe? I don't think so, because it really doesn't take that much time, because, like, it's still in the same, like, within the space of the same paragraph. It's still a quick thing. It doesn't take okay. uh, that much narrative space. But, so I think it just, it's because they didn't want Nancy to seem weak, maybe? Yeah, or clumsy. Clumsy, yeah. I guess, yeah, yeah. That's true. There were multiple moments of of Nancy like having, you know, accidental slips or whatever mm -hmm. in the older version. So interesting. interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They took out some bits of like uh, explanation about Chinese culture. Okay. So they do they do keep a lot of it. You know, obviously Nancy speaks with Mister Stone a lot, kind of about the vases and about like you know Chinese symbolism and stuff. There was more of it in the older version. Um, there's like this kind of whole story about a plum tree that is not explained about the jewelry box, but it's really, it's really not. Um, it really does. That one seems like it was probably a space, a space thing. Mm. It's not really relevant. Or maybe it just wasn't actually anything really to do with Chinese culture and they made it that's up. That's true. <laughs> Let's hope. Let's hope that's the reason why uh, that it was removed and not just because, you know, it was at the bottom of the totem pole as far as importance to the story goes. Right. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, but I think, you know, we can't, that's that's really it as, as far as I saw the differences between the revisions and the new ones. So it's nothing super substantial. It's just these small little moments and small turns of phrases that I noticed. But I think we can't move on from this book without talking about the racism <laughs> involved right. in it. Um, you know, we talked a lot about racism. We were talking about Shadow Ranch and the representation of indigenous people in that book. And this one obviously is centered around Chinese vases. Obviously, you know, we said that they describe the Chinese characters in this book, of which there are many, just as, you know, Chinese or the Chinese, not the Chinese person. Mm -hmm. um, they don't really assignate a lot of humanity to them. Right. Although I do feel like, I feel like they gave a they spent a lot of time describing Mr. Son and his, you know, his character and his appearance. And it didn't feel, it didn't feel overtly racist to me. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's, you know, because I'm ignorant <laughs> or um, because, you know, it wasn't. I, I, he didn't seem, he didn't seem, compl- he definitely seemed stereotypical, mm-hmm. but he didn't seem two dimensional, if that makes sense. Right. It, it seemed like he was a more, he was a more explored character to me. Mm-hmm. And even though they didn't necessarily treat him very respectfully in like their language and like, the narrative he you know he was he was treated respectfully by nancy i think yeah definitely in Which in person been. yeah she definitely seemed to at least care a lot about him if not also i think you know gave him a lot of authority in the mystery and treating him like he you know you know he was a stakeholder and right mm-hmm. right she definitely made sure to always keep him informed of what she was doing she took a lot of pains to be sensitive to his feelings about you know how he felt about his missing friends um stuff like that nancy at one point even i think she describes him as her friend that was kind of nice to see yeah yeah so i don't know what did, what did you think Corey? <laughs> It definitely wasn't as racist as some of the things that we saw in like Shadow Ranch. I'm trying to think of any specific things that jumped out at me. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, so in the 1940s version, <laughs> they they did this thing. So when Nancy goes to the boarding house, Nancy actually meets a woman who who owns the boarding house um, and is managing the boarding house. And so she does, so she does use like slang, I guess. She, you know, she says land sakes in the new version oh, oh, mm-hmm. in the 1940s version she says lan sakes so l-a-n apostrophe sakes and they changed that to land sakes in the new one i am wondering if if that wasn't some form of racial coding for that character because they also talk about her being the one to have raised Hannah and taken care of Hannah. So she's definitely kind of classed in a certain way as being a a caretaker of lower class who uses like lower brow language. Right. And while that, you know, obviously they don't make any uh, specific comments as to her race. We know that that is something that they, that is done in novels and literature throughout history to, you know, put certain characters in a certain lane. So I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if that's what's happening here and that they took that out to do that less or, or what that decision was. But also I wanted to talk about, because it seems like that character it, and also Mr. Son later, both didn't want to get involved with the police. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, the boarding house owner, Mrs. Wendell, she's very nervous when Nancy says, we need to call the police about this vase in the attic. And, you know, she doesn't want to get involved with the police. She's worried about that. But Nancy has to, like, reassure her and say it's going to be okay. And even when she is, like, speaking with the police, like, Nancy has to kind of support her in doing that. Um, and I thought that was super interesting. And also in conjunction with the fact that Mr. Son didn't want to be involved with the police either. Later, we see actual police involvement with him. He gets arrested. And also, like, when we think we know where his friends are, he doesn't want to call the police because he doesn't want them to get involved with the police. So right. I'm wondering, is that too also because these are supposed to be people of color? I mean, obviously, Mr. Son is Asian, but is the, you know, the boarding house owner, is she also supposed to be a woman of color because of her fear of the police? And if that's the case, how smart of them to have picked up on the fact that people of color wouldn't have wanted to be involved in the police right. at that time. 
instead of just, you know, ho-hum going along. So I don't know. I felt like it, it's definitely it's definitely more of a complex representation in this book than in other ones. And I think it's definitely worth reading for yourself and thinking about a little yeah. bit. I don't know. Absolutely. I think you can definitely tell that this is a white author or authors just because of the way even some of the, the Chinese characters were referring to themselves or saying about one another. I'd be interested to know how much research they did on some mm -hmm. of the things where they're referencing like the pottery or some of Chinese culture. I'd be interested to know how much much research was actually put into that and how much of that was actually accurate in the real portrayal. Right. Yeah. It did seem, it definitely seemed stereotypical to me, but again, like, you know, what do I know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's see what else do we want to talk about. We had some really interesting displays of detective work. Like when Nancy is in the boarding house and she's, uh, the police have already come in and basically torn the place apart looking for any clues or references to Mr. Manning. And Nancy's like, oh, well, they must have missed something. So I'm going to go in behind them. And she even finds other ways to, to look through the room and, and finds clues. There's a lot mm -hmm. of analysis of footprints and I don't even know what else. Um, Nancy does the thing with the blotter. So she... Uh, <gasps> water that was so she, clever yeah she it, when she's over at helen townsend's house for her birthday party she's examining their vase and she sees the markings on the bottom of the vase you know similar to the the other vases that she's seen and that were described to her and so she copies them down on a piece of paper and puts it in her purse when the vase is stolen uh, her purse is also taken. They find it later in the yard, but the paper is missing from her purse where she had written down the symbols. So she she used a blotter to blot the, to the ink, to dry yeah. the ink on uh, the thing that she wrote. So she goes back to get the blotter to copy down the reverse of what's on the blotter. So yeah, that was, yeah, that was cool for two. A lot of clever detective work on Nancy's part, especially yeah. where the, the police were lacking. So that was... Yeah. Fun. Can we talk about the birthday party a little bit more? Yes. About how Nancy gets her a kitten. Yes. She gets a few interesting gifts. Some of them are oh, yes. you know, normal. Some of them are... Uh, lingerie. She gets lingerie. From what I can tell, the attendees at this birthday party are Helen, her parents, Nancy, Bess, and George. We get this list of, of the gifts that Helen receives from everyone. Um, it's first mentioned that she's she gets some nice lingerie, which yes. is really strange to open with like three of your friends and your dad sitting there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, George gets her a baseball glove, which she remarks is, uh, what's what's the comment that she makes? Uh, something yeah. like, oh, I'm so glad that you got this for Nobody me. would get it for her. Why she not? Play baseball? <laughs> Was I'm trying to think what time period was a, a League of One's Own? Is that what that is? The, yeah, the all yeah. female base. When was that? And no, was let's no. find out. <laughs> because um, yeah, it seems like baseball is not. I mean, it, it just seems like if if it was going to be like a sexist thing, like oh nobody would buy this for me. I don't know. I wouldn't think baseball bit. You know, right. the movie was made in the '90s, but it's set right. in the '40s. Right. So. Just kind of interesting that she's not allowed to have this male gift, yeah. I guess. And, and George is the one that gives it to her. And it gets a big laugh. Like, oh, thanks so much. You would be the one to give this to me. Yeah, I definitely made a note of that, too. It did seem odd to me. Like, I think definitely it was supposed to be sexist. Like, we mm -hmm. were supposed to read it as, oh, this is a, 
you know, we're, we are marking out sexism in this moment. Nobody wanted to give her a baseball glove. And George, who is our, you know, resident tomboy or whatever, is the one to give her one. But it just seemed like a weird way to do it. Like, <laughs> it's a, it seemed like in, in 99 Steps even, or, you know, in other, in other books too, you know, Nancy is called out for being like a female investigator, right? A female detective. And that felt much more natural um, and obvious and like realistic than like, oh, nobody will get me a baseball glove. I'm so sad. No one will get me a baseball glove. It's like, this is kind of facile, you know, yeah. like just kind of vapid. <laughs> well, good for you, Helen. You got your baseball glove. I'm happy for you. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> and yeah, and Nancy gets her a kitten, yeah, which is like, y'all, don't don't give pets as gifts. Yeah. Don't give pets as gifts. And what does she say about this one as well? Because there's also a comment made here. Oh, she says, I've been meaning to get one of these. Yes. That's what she <laughs> said. What? You've been you've been meaning to stop by the store and pick up a kitten and just haven't found the like, time? Is that what's going on here? Thanks, Nancy. She saved her an errand. <laughs> yeah, like it's one of those infomercial like squeegees or something or like a, what do you call it? The sham wows. Sham like, wow. oh, I've been meaning to get one of these. It's so useful to have around the house. No, it's a kitten. Uh, and the best just gives her some pottery that she made in, in Dick Milton's pottery class. They did make a mention in the birthday party too about being concerned about Bess's weight. Did they say that in the new version? I don't remember that. I definitely didn't notice um, a whole lot of best fat shaming in this one, which was kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We get a lot of her fear, right? She's scared a lot about, you know, the enclosure in the woods, which like fair though, like who would not be? Again, I just feel like Bess is the most relatable character. <laughs> She's normal, everybody. If they'd known from the start what was going on inside of that fence, that right. totally justified fear. Like there's kidnappers and people that are human traffickers in there. Right. And posing as a religious cult as well, which is another layer of creepy on top of it all. So, yeah, yeah, no, I think Bess, Bess has it right. And Bess, I think, is much like the Ron Weasley of the group um, yes. in that she is always the one to like, you know, everybody kind of writes off as being like, you know, silly or kind of stupid and, you know, whatever. But she's the one who makes the most apt comments and mm. is the one who seems to like always kind of know what's up, you know, like kind of gets it in a way that I think other people don't get it. Mm -hmm. um, but they, they mentioned her, her weight again at the birthday party. They're talking about like the ice cream and cake and Bess helping herself to a second helping um, and was the target of good natured teasing from the other girls who were concerned about her weight. Mm, concern yeah. and teasing don't go hand in hand though. They do not. They do Ooh. not. They do, so she does say, I noticed that in the, yeah, in this is, is from the 40s version, they put concerned in quotation marks. So it oh. seemed as, it, yeah, so they're quote unquote concerned. So I thought that was super interesting mm -hmm. um, because it was like, so are you saying that they're not really concerned? Mm -hmm. And what does that, what does that mean? You know, right. like, are, are you feigning concern? Like you're mocking concern about her weight? Because that's really nasty. Like, that's like, oh, we care about your health, but not really. Is that what that's supposed to say? Or is, are they just using it as a way to like describe their teasing? Or is it like the narrator calling out the fact that they're teasing her because they're concerned about her weight, but they're not actually concerned about her weight. They're just, right. they're being assholes basically. 
so it's yeah, it was it was definitely an interesting an interesting moment. Wow. Let's hope it's the last one where it's the yeah. author calling them out on, on how shallow they are. But yeah. Yes. Let's let's hope. Oh, okay. We gotta talk about the fact that there are two leaning chimneys in the book, and one of them is totally a red herring and has actually nothing to do with the actual leaning chimney. Right. It just so happens she happens upon this house that has a leaning chimney that happens to be a house that is connected to this mystery, but the connection has nothing to do with the leaning chimney on the house. It just so happens to be the house that right. this man was staying at, but that didn't have anything to do with the leaning chimney either. I thought that that was really weird at the beginning. I was like, oh, well, is that the mystery? We're on like chapter two and we've already found the leaning chimney, but no, it turns out that the bad guy just rented a room in a house that so happened to have a similar architectural feature as this um, <laughs> this iron mine or wherever they is it a mine? Yeah, I keep saying the wrong word. No, An it's a mine. mine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and Nancy even like remarks upon this at the end, I think to Ned or something, and being yeah. like, "Oh yeah, it was just a weird coincidence that 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 house also had a leaning chimney. What a lucky break for me!" Because if she hadn't have found that leaning chimney in Masonville, well, subsequently we would not have figured anything out. Right. If she hadn't found the wrong chimney, she would never have found the right chimney. So yeah. So like as much as I think this book was, I mean, like good. It was a fun read, you know. Yeah. It definitely had racist moments. As far as I think how it stacks up to the rest of the Nancy Drew mysteries, I'm like, meh, you know. But I just felt like this plot was, it was just absolutely crafted around one flaw. You know what yeah. I mean? Like one total, like, <laughs> it's like a house of cards. Like you pull that one out, like none of the rest of this works. And it doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> So, you know, like do better. But I I think <laughs> as far I mean as far as the mystery stories go, I you know, this obviously was not the worst absolute plot hole that exists right, or like right. the most far-fetched plot mm -hmm. uh plot device, you know. It's all pretty it's all pretty crazy. So, mm -hmm. you know, maybe I can I can give this <laughs> give this one a slide. And also, after she finds that first chimney, being able to investigate all hinges on Mrs. Wendell knowing Hannah, yep. who knows of Nancy. Yeah. So mm -hmm. had, had she not had this connection to the owner, she never would have gained access to the house and discovered the stolen bases that were there. Right. So. Yeah. It seemed like it seemed like one thing after another seemed very tenuous. Mm -hmm. And then it also seemed like, but ultimately, what really what you really just needed to do was find the enclosure in the woods and investigate the enclosure in the woods, which they just kept going to and leaving and going to and leaving and going mm -hmm. to and leaving. And it was like, just go in, like, just go <laughs> in. Okay, sure, maybe the first time you can't get over the fence, there's barbed wire or whatever. But like the second time, okay, like figure it out. Like, let's, let's get to the root of this because Nancy knows, you know, it has something to do with that, you know, that enclosure. So I, it, it just seemed like one long hike to me and it seemed like y'all just need to to get in there you know okay. we do get a lot of contrast in in the scenes that we have in the story they're either very very dark scenes or very very bright happy scenes we have even the very first scene where nancy 
first sees this man drop the vase in the road. It's raining. It's really dark outside. Anytime they're going hiking or anything, it's always really dark. They have to have their flashlights or it's raining or Nancy falls in the creek. But we also have these really light moments where it's fun trip to New York to visit Aunt Eloise, a birthday party, a wedding, a dance that we go to with Ned. So it was just yeah, very interesting to see light, dark, light, dark. Yeah, that's a really great point. I hadn't noticed that. But yeah, now that you say that, that's it's super true. And I wonder, yeah, what that is supposed to mean to us as the reader, you know? Give it a movie vibe, but we still yeah. have these very bright fun. Yeah, it's definitely super atmospheric. And I especially noticed that at the beginning, you know, they tried to definitely do like the, you know, oh, dark and stormy night kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, though, there was like an absolutely like... Uh, also another red herring of the fact that they were they were on their way back from Masonville carrying money from a charity auction or something that Nancy was treasurer of and Bess was worried that the money was going to get stolen but that doesn't happen and it's absolutely yeah not relevant at all to anything in the rest of the book it's not even fundraiser ever again it's not mentioned again they don't even not even like glancingly they don't say anything about it ever again and it's just like, it, it's it's okay if they're just on their way back from Masonville. Like, we don't have to have right. a reason why. <laughs> and the like the very first even paragraph of the whole story is best concern that something something bad is going to happen while they're on this road. And which it does. It's just it's not true. the thing that she's worried about. So Is Bess actually like a prophet? Is she psychic? Maybe, maybe. maybe she, the vibe, maybe she has ESP or something. That's why she's always foreshadowing things. Yeah. Yes. Because she knows. She knows what's up. Team Bess. Hashtag Team Bess all day, every day. Team Bess. <sighs> Maybe the uh, all the bright moments are supposed to really contrast how horrible <laughs> everything that they're going through at the end, what, everything we learned, oh, just yeah. to make, supposed to make it look a lot worse. Because we've got this you know, horrible human atrocity of not kidnapping, but like slavery and trafficking. Yeah. yeah. Um, But then it's contrasted with some of the the happiest moments that you can have in life, a brand new baby, a wedding, somebody's Mm -hmm. birthday. Maybe they felt like they had to do that to kind of keep the pendulum swaying, you know, back and forth. Maybe it's put it in there because everything else was so dark, but. Right. And probably that's why they had to do have such like a happy dinner party scene at the end, you know, because it's like, okay, well now that we've talked about, you know, (laughs) slavery and abuse and girl, all that this stuff. young girl wanting to take her own life because she sees this horrible situation that she's in is inescapable and not worth living and yeah we have to have oh. we have to have a fun happy moment with them so that nobody stays in that dark place for too long yes that makes sense. oh that's a good point okay yeah that explains it there we go <laughs> <laughs> but i did feel like it was like super far-fetched at the end to think that the Ungs would stick around and continue yeah. to make pottery in River Heights with the exact same source. So like being in the same area where you have been um, enslaved and abused Prisoner, for five yeah. years, go what they would go home. Why would yeah. they not go home? They would want to return to China. And she even says that to her father. Like we, you know, we haven't been home in five years. I don't even remember what it's like basically. Yeah. And so like, why, why would they stay there? It just seemed like, they had to have a way to tie it all together and yeah. have a way for the for Dick to be able to use the China clay. But it just seemed yeah. like, we'll just have him use it because he can make pottery too. Right. I understand Ung Moy is supposed to be really good at it. It's supposed to be very skilled. And that's probably why. But it just seemed like Dick's far-fetched. Not trying, 
like professional reproductions or reproductions right. that could fool an expert on right. on histories or not history but like artifacts and things yeah so. and it just seemed like they didn't put a lot of thought into the emotions and experiences of those people it was yeah. just like and anyway they decided to do this and, and every everybody was fine i'd be like get me home now mm-hmm. <laughs> next plane out of here i'm on it like i'm not staying here to make pottery yeah presumably they have family and friends still in china like you know that should be concerned about their well-being they even spoke about how like they contacted people from china and they're like yeah we assume they're still in the states we don't know we haven't heard anything from them so at the very least you know there are some people who are somewhat concerned about them so i mean it's presumed that like her mother's not in the picture for whatever reason anymore but Maybe she is, and she's maybe she is because she's been separated from her family for five years. Yeah, so I thought that was, you know, a little suspect. And also, so another thing that I found like far fetched about this: there's just this massive abandoned Civil War mine in the woods, in between River Heights and Masonville, that is fenced and barbed and has been for five years, and, and nobody knows about it. Yeah. Nobody knows about it. Nobody's seen it before. Nobody's like, oh, yeah, that weird fenced in part in the middle of the woods. Nancy actually has to go to like some office, some governmental office to like inquire about the rights to the land and, you know, all of that. But I mean, I guess it's really just supposed to be off in the middle of nowhere. But it just seems so strange to me that nobody would be interested or have questions about this in the middle of the woods for five years, you know? They even mentioned that there's not a clean title on that land. So who Mm -hmm. else has a vested interest in this place and is just letting these bad guys take over this space and use it as a front for, or the religious cult is the front for Mm -hmm. the pottery forgery business, so. It's like the more you think about all of the like individual parts of this mystery, you're like, hold on. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. And, you know, God bless Nancy Drew, but I think that's definitely a weakness to these Nancy Drew mystery stories is that yeah. just, just the plots sometimes really are a little tenuous, you know? Yeah. Really don't necessarily hold up under intense scrutiny. <laughs> I yeah. don't think the target audience would look <laughs> that closely in the first place anyway, but... Yeah, that's a good point. All of this just comes from they see a guy mysteriously on the road that drops something and Bess identifies this thing as something that probably might have been this thing that her cousin borrowed. Right. And Nancy solves it and saves some human trafficking. (laughs) We go. We go from an almost hit, like an almost accident in the road, a glimpse at a half-concealed vase to saving victims of human trafficking. (laughs) Go, Nancy Drew. (laughs) Man, oh man, she truly is a, a, a superhero. I mean, yeah. superhero status. She is. <laughs> okay, what score would you give this, Corey? Probably three flashlights, maybe. Well, now that we've picked it apart a little bit, it might have just gone down to two and a half flashlights, but how yeah. about you? Yeah, I think at the beginning I was feeling generous and I was like, yeah, I think it was really good. I think four flashlights. But the more that we yeah, have discussed, I think a three. I think three flashlights is what it deserves. Yeah, it, I really enjoyed reading it. I thought it was a, a fun read. I thought um, I, I was interested. You know, there were certainly a lot of twists and turns. It kept my interest. But yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you think about it too hard. <laughs> 
I'm sure we could pick apart the other ones that we we've read like this as well. Mm. But yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Do you wanna do you wanna introduce our next next book after the poll that we put on our social media? I would love to. Yes. So thank you to our Instagram followers who commented on our recent post asking, you know, which of these should we read next? And honestly, it was pretty closely tied. And in fact, I think it was a tie. So we just had to end up deciding. We are still very interested in reading Mystery of the Tolling Bell. Don't think that that's going anywhere. Your One of our uh, followers commented that it involved elves and hallucinogens. And I just have to say that that certainly piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. However, we are actually going to go ahead and read the uh, witch tree symbol number 33. Um, and so uh, <laughs> that is what we're going to be covering next. Hopefully a tolling bell will be not too far beyond that one. So if you, <laughs> yeah. If, if that's one of your favorites, you know, stick around for maybe the next one after that. But. Yeah. And also, as always, you know, shoot us a message. Let us know if there's anything that we have to have to cover. If there is any Nancy breaking news that we are not aware of, you know, please keep us up to date and informed. You know, you never know. We might make a, a special episode just for yeah. that. Be exciting. Yeah. Send us an email. Send us a message on Instagram or Twitter or where else are we? YouTube. We have a YouTube channel <laughs> where all of our, our episodes are posted. So, yeah, we'll see it. We'll see it wherever you send it. We're there. You can send a, a message on Patreon, become oh, one yeah. of our patrons, and you can message us on there. Which, by the way, just so that you know, um, our patrons are um, offered some behind-the-scenes content pretty regularly. I don't know if you've noticed, but we spend a lot of time talking about Nancy Drew. And so we have, you know, a lot of stuff that gets cut from, you know, our general release so if you're interested yeah if you're interested in hearing us talk even more about uh, all the other nancy drew ephemera in these books go on over to our patreon and uh you can subscribe at the one dollar level to get access to those yeah stick around to the very end of the episode after our outro music for a little extra little extra extra. yeah (laughs) i don't know Thank you for listening to Regular Nancy Drew. Email us at regularnancydrew at gmail.com. If you liked this episode, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at regularnancydrew and Twitter at regularnd. You can also support us on Patreon. Patrons at the $1 level receive early access to each episode as well as weekly bonus content. And to all you regular Drews out there, thanks for listening. And now for a sexual reading of Nancy Drew. The girl went through the door into the rear room. There she saw Dick, engrossed at the potter's wheel, his sandy hair tumbling over his forehead. He was so busy, he did not notice his collar. Nancy watched with rapt interest while Dick deftly pressed a lump of clay on the center of the wheel, then allowed it to rise between his fingers in a spiral column before depressing it again. Once more, the column spiraled. The young man again pushed it down, at the same time centering and shrewing the clay. Then he pressed his thumbs into the soft clay, rapidly forming a cylinder. With one hand inside the cylinder and the other outside, Dick molded the clay into the thickness he desired. Nancy now saw the cylinder shape like magic into a large jar. Dick snapped off a switch and the whirring wheel slowly stopped. As he turned around, a look of pleased surprise spread over his face. Nancy Drew, how did you get here?
simple. That jar you just made is Aladdin's lamp. You rubbed it and I appeared. Lap, but you could say that. <laughs> oh my god! I hope you appreciated that. <clears throat> and that was a sexual reading of Nancy Drew. <laughs> <laughs>